0: Listen to this podcast right now! Do you wanna hear a fucking podcast about anything and everything? Yeah. Like movies, oh music, television, and more? Oh my god. Well you've come to the right place. Yes. Subscribe to Journey into Comics Network, <laughs> and you get podcastrophe oh hosted by me. Yes. Dick. Yes. Why not throw a couple bucks to the Patreon? It's yes. your choice. Yes. Yeah. This is a podcast-trophy. That sounds so awesome. What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 68 of Poor 360. I am your host, Andrew Porn. Thank you for joining me here. On another Tuesday, we are now post-episode 300 of the Journey Into Comics podcast. We're getting ever so close to... Is it year three now? No, year four of the Journey Into Comics network. It's it's a crazy time. And I've definitely enjoyed listening to the New JSC episodes with Brandon Stone um, as a part of the now trio of co-hosts that are on the podcast so definitely give a shout out to those guys if you haven't listened to yesterday's episode I highly encourage it it's a great episode it's good uh Nate and Brando action and um they could talk about the uh, everything going on with like the Michael Keaton Batman and everything else so definitely check it out it's a uh, good throwback vibes from uh, old JIC so definitely do that lots of good content there now, if you've been paying attention the last couple uh, weeks, there's definitely been a lot going on in the world. In the past two episodes, I've talked about the Black Lives Matter movement as well as uh, LGBTQ plus uh, rights that are going on because this is, we're still in Pride Month, uh, at least for a few more days here. And this is where I kind of want to talk about something else. And some of it's kind of been in my head back and forth for the past few weeks I've seen. And I don't know if it's more of a product of what's going on in the world, a product of us being kind of cooped up because of the whole COVID thing, or what's causing it. It seems to enter at high, and it's causing a lot of ripple effects. And I will be talking mostly, well, some about um, really the arts in general. So arts, um, statues, uh, entertainment, and all of that. And this kind of where this is, and it's about what I want to call, and what everyone really calls it, is cancel culture, which is... Kind of the idea of something um I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a better definition because I think the whatever I'm trying to cope with in my head is not exactly what um what we should say. So So let's see, the art of canceling uh also referred to as cancel culture, serves so a form of boycott in which an individual ...who shared a questionable or controversial opinion... ...or has their behavior in their past... ...that is received to be offensive or recorded on social media... ...so it's kind of... ...almost like a variant of online shaming... ...so it's basically... ...something you did in the past is now coming back... ...to kind of affect your future... ...um... ...the Me Too movement could be one thing... ...that could be considered a part of cancel culture... ...which is... ...um... ...the past come back to bite you... ...we saw it most recently happen... ...um... ...with James Gunn... ...so he had tweets in his past it all kind of, um... all came back. It caused a public outcry. Um, Disney being kind of the PR trying to save face chose to sever ties and then it took a lot of back and forth and a lot of, um... people strongly encouraged them to reconsider for that to be undone. And I think there's still some, uh... some residual effects there. And, um... we're seeing it happen with, uh... other people. We saw, um... We saw it happen with um, the the guy from The Flash uh, who played the elongated man, which I talked about in a previous episode. And we're seeing um, just things happening where uh, stuff you're saying or stuff that you've done in the past is now kind of coming around again. Or it's even coming to the fact of, like, um, statues of the past are being targeted as um, kind of... Uh, visualizations, um, realizations of hate that need to be kind of removed because they're no longer a part of the America that we are trying to create. And I have some things that I thought were kind of interesting, and a lot of it, I don't want to say strikes close to home because it's it's kind of silly um, for that to be the case, but one thing that kind of became big, at least uh, in the past like week, has been regarding um, blackface, whether uh, digital or uh, real, as well as kind of some some movies and TV shows of the past that are maybe not the most PC in today's culture and have since been kind of adjusted or changed. So I, f- I found a nice article here... Um, about what i'm going to say is well, i'll save this so what i'm with about is about digital blackface which is the the way i'm going to say it is that an actor voicing a character of a different race than they are so this first became news when jenny slate who voices the character i believe missy uh Oh, now I'm gonna freaking space out on the show. It is... What the... So the first thing I want to talk about where kind of everything started was involving the TV show Big Mouth, where Jenny Slade, who is a comedian actress, a lot of you would know her work from Parks and Rec. She played John Ralphio's sister. So she played a character on Big Mouth named Missy, who was half black and half uh, Jewish, essentially. And she came out saying that she is stepping out from the role and basically saying that uh, she was the time, but that she was, by playing someone of a different race than her, that she was um, basically taking opportunities away from... Uh, black voice actors and was chosen to step down from the role. She said that she saw the fact that since she's Jewish and her character she was playing was half Jewish that it was fine. And so she chose she was stepping down and then still came out the big mouth that she had recorded her voice um, for the upcoming season, which is coming later this year. So she'll still be the character voice f- for the next season, but the following season if there's a following season, I believe there is will be voiced by another actress. And that kind of caused a domino effect of other voice actors uh choosing to step down uh Kristen Bell who voices a character um I forget the show Kristen Bell does a lot of tv and movie work so I didn't keep a track but she was at like, the next one to fall in that she was also stepping down for the same reason uh Alison Brie who voiced um I think it was Diane on the show BoJack Horseman where she's one of the few human uh characters was playing a, an Asian woman and even though that show is over she regretted voicing that character kind of for the same reasons. But we saw some by force uh based the Simpsons saying that um any um uh, basically kind of saying they're going to make sure that the actor's voice in the same race they are so some of the the black characters who are voiced by white uh, voice actors were going to be changed. And it kind of led to um Mike Henry, who is the voice of Cleveland Brown on Family Guy, and who was the obviously the voice of Cleveland Brown on The Cleveland Show, which ran for a few years before being canceled. And that one, I, it was hard because that guy has been voicing the character for 20 years. And I guess the same thing can be said for those voice actors who voice the characters on The Simpsons, is that if it's not necessarily portraying the the character in a bad way, is there a negative to that? Because like, there's people playing other genders other ages I mean you've seen the the girl who voices like on the Rugrats and on like, pap- so, like she does a ton of voices of different or it's like Bart Simpson's voiced by a middle-aged woman now who's been voicing the character for 30 some odd years now and is it a problem to voice outside your gender but not about outside your race is kind of what it comes down to and I think it's a good discussion and Obviously, I, I felt that because I saw Cleveland Bound as not doing a mockery of an African-American person that Mike Henry, despite being a pretty pale-skinned white guy, was, I feel like, doing that character justice. Not to say that there's not a, an African-American voice actor out there that could do a better job, but I think when someone's established the role for 20 years, they're kind of that character. It's kind of more synonymous with them. It's like... um. I'm, I can't think really of a good example, and it's it's not one of the ones like where it's like, oh, James Bond can be a different person every so often, there still can be a black James Bond and all that, then a whole other topic there, but seeing that, is the character synonymous with the person playing it? So, like, will it be weird? Obviously, Mike Henry has stepped down, I don't think it was necessarily his choice, but he chose to basically say that, uh, though it's been his pleasure to voice that character for 20 years... He agrees that um, black characters should be voiced by black actors and so on and so forth. So most likely when new... Fam- I don't know how many episodes they record in advance, but most likely whenever Family Guy does get to that point where they're... to where we are now, which I don't know with everything going with COVID, what production is happening, that we might see a different voice actor portraying Cleveland Brown. Maybe they'll get rid of that character altogether. I'm not exactly sure. I hope they find something for Mike Henry to do because obviously he's been a part of that show for 20 years as one of the main supporting characters. He's just like um, Patrick Warburton who voices uh, Cleveland Brown. I remember there were some jokes going around about... Um, I did say Patrick Warburton's Cleveland Brown. Patrick Warburton voicing Joe Swanson. Sorry, Cleveland Brown on the brain. And basically I'm saying, oh, they need to go break his legs now. It's It's... Yeah, they're not going to go to the point where they said an able-bodied person can't voice a person with disabilities because then it's just it's just people trying to nitpick things to be upset about, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I understand that there should be uh, the majority should be opportunities for um, minorities and people of uh, people of color to portray the characters that are that look like them, um, which I think w- which is a fair point but i think in some of these situations if you do have that established character it doesn't make sense to change at that point what there needs to be is there needs to be new content created and more content created that it does give more opportunities but retroactively replacing characters on shows that exist seems like a course correction in this kind of this pc cancel culture we're in now it's gone too far as seeing tv shows that have currently aired and have already aired to go back and removing those episodes from streaming services. Obviously, we're in an age where all the shows you want, you can watch their entire catalog. Like, I'm currently finishing The Office again for the god, sixth or seventh time now, probably. Just because it's a show I put in the background while I'm working or doing dishes or whatever I'm doing around the house, and I'm not actively watching it, but here I am about three episodes from the end again. Um, And then it's season nine, not the end of seven when Steve Carell left, so... Um, but it is kind of interesting that we're seeing uh, TV shows that have been established, that they're kind of going back and removing those episodes despite what's going on we've also seen um, well let me get to these these old shows and then I'll kind of jump to people that have been kind of wrongly affected so this is uh, this is an op-ed from uh, Rebecca Wanzo, this is on CNN, it's called, Removing blackface episodes is easy, actually confronting racism in media isn't. So every, every year, um, this is kind of her point, so I'm going to read it. So every year when I teach undergraduates about uh, minstrels and blackface, I look around for a recent example, and all I've never failed to find one. Fashion companies place grotesque images on clothes or bags. A white Australian performer like Iggy Azalea skips the black makeup but makes money by talking on an Ama- African-American persona in her music. Anime clearly has blackface problems, but I have never used any examples from 30 Rock community at the office scrubs. The Golden Girls, which had episodes pulled or scenes edited out from various streaming platforms because they were deemed blackface episodes. A number of these episodes, albeit to varied effects, comment on racism. Protests that have sprung from George Floyd's killing and other recent cases of police brutality have had widespread effects, including new examinations of the politics of racial representation. Given the ways in which caricatures of black people are often used just by such violence, interrogating black representation in popular culture is a natural outgrowth of the movement. But as a scholar who works on racial caricature, I can't help but feel that pulling these episodes demonstrates a mere surface engagement with this history and an inability to recognize precisely what makes racist representations injurious. It is easier to pull these episodes than do the hard work of thinking about the embedded nature of black caricature and racism in popular culture not just in the United States, but around the world. Historically, blackface has been deployed in roughly three different ways in popular culture. The traditional form of non-black people using blackface, black people have been forced to use blackface or other kinds of stereotypical performances for employment in limited entertainment markets, and non-black people deploying speech patterns or performances that evoked black identity or caricatures of black identity. One thing is clear, if we removed every trace of racism from the popular culture canon, we would be left with quite the fragmented legacy of works. When I teach about the history of popular culture in the United States, I emphasize that African Americans and racist racist caricature are not peripheral to its development. They are the very center of it. Uh, Minstrelsy is an origin of American music. The first radio show to be syndicated was Amos and Andy, with white men performing stereotypes of black people. Mickey Mouse's origins were minstrelsy. The Birth of a Nation, which was infamously a landmark in innovative epic filmmaking, while also being a rec- recruitment tool for the KKK. The first modern musical was Showboat, which, was, which has produced some impressive performances from black performers, but also had racist language and caricatures in early versions. And outside of black representation, the vast majority of Westerns are racist depictions of indigenous people in the entire film genre that has emerged in the wake of the war on drugs, has been on one character after another of people from Central and South America. The history of representations is damaging because it has circulated toxic stereotypes about various races and ethnicities. The fictive accompaniments to discriminatory and dehumanizing views. I'm puzzled by the removal of some of these episodes which seem to be about something else. In addition, discussing representation alone leaves out the practices of exclusion, discrimination, and bad faith economic deals that have consistently made the real lives of entertainers of color so much worse than many of their white counterparts. The arguments to be had whether or not the 30 Rock episode about conflicts between white feminism and anti-black racism is successful at getting at these debates, but when we can't see it, we can't even have the conversation. Why is the episode of Community in which Ken Jeong puts on a black makeup and white hair as a dark elf in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, and a black character notes it as hate crime an attack against black people? We need to be aware of the racist logic of high fantasy that is played on in fiction and actual attacks against authors like NK Geminism or Jemison, sorry, but nothing about the episodes that speak to that history. Most disturbingly, why remove a brilliant episode of The Golden Girls about racism? In Mixed mixed Blessings, I don't know why I keep getting tongue-tied today, Uh, Dorothy's son Michael comes to her with the news that he's marrying a black woman, Lorraine. Dorothy clearly harbors some discriminatory beliefs about interracial marriage, but we then learn that Michael's fiance is twice his age, something that is much more upsetting to Dorothy. Both families object to the marriage, but come to accept it over the course of the episode. The blackface scene is, in question depicts Dorothy's friend Rose and Blanche walking in on the visiting families with mud masks on for facials. The comic timing and discomfort aroused by that scene demonstrates the awareness among the show's writers and audience that it would be offensive and inappropriate if they were actually in blackface. The object of the joke is the situation, not black people. I've encountered a few white women with mud masks and spots over the course of my life, but unless they began speaking in stereotypical black dialect and seeing camp town races, I wouldn't see it as offensive. Part of what makes the episode work as an anti-racist episode is that it does not treat Dorothy's racism as acceptable. This stands in contrast to student dressing up in blackface for Halloween, which makes a nasty joke of their peers, or when people clearly deport racist stereotypes to suggest black people are grotesque, criminal, or comical. Moreover, there's a great deal of relentless r- racist logic in the media that is much more subtle than blackface. For instance, I am still angered by the first season episode about racism in Friday Night Lights, which is also rightly considered one of the finest television dramas of the 21st century. After a very smart couple of episodes about a coach who repeated the oft-stated race idea that black men were not smart enough to be quarterback and the black players' reactions in black eyes and broken hearts, the coach is narratively rehabilitated. He is shown knowing how to talk to another racist coach and protecting a black player from worse racists and being arrested without cause. In a scene that strongly suggests that he will become the victim of police violence, the black player he offends forgives the coach. The neat resolution to a promisingly messy storyline reflects the kind of insidious logic that runs through our culture. A narrative that tries to push black people to see that races can help be helpful to them, and that forgiving them is always the most ethical thing to do. As problematic and offense as I think it is, I am not asking that the episode sort of Friday Night Lights be removed, nor am I saying that there is nothing wrong with blackface. Clearly the world would not suffer if, I never, if it never saw Jane Krakowski in blackface again. But I figure moving episodes, some of which actually open discussions about racist representation, simply goes for an easy, non-substantive approach to harder questions about the more dangerous racist logics and practices in Hollywood culture. Which I, I entirely agree with her statement. Um, obviously, I know that the episode Dungeons & Dragons, um, or not, I don't think it's actually called Dungeons & Dragons, but the episode of Community featuring Ken Jeong in black makeup and white hair looking like a dark elf is not shown as blackface and it's arguably one of the best episodes of community and it does call him out as being racist for dressing like that even though he's not representing a black person he's representing a fictional being um and then the episode of like the office which features um oh what was the Belschnickel, which is like the german kind of santa claus type who had a um, kind of a sidekick that was referred to as um, Black Peter in the translation, which was kind of a caricature. And that one was, did show um, one of the the minor characters in the costume, but it was shown that it was wrong, and he immediately left and had it off. So I get snipping out that little bit that showed him in that. That didn't really affect the episode. But removing episodes, especially the ones that are supposed to start the conversation makes a lot of sense and I think it's um kind of rightly really, like the head of this article does show a video of um Jimmy Kimmel um kind of really in blackface uh playing one of the uh jazz players uh, the basketball team the jazz and we saw that he um that was from his old show which was the man show which was a uh, on comedy central and it was actually much worse in terms of how it talked about women and uh, it, it was not a great show and it was definitely a much a show of his time but he uh jimmy Kimmel, has since decided he's taking the summer off i don't know if it's in re- retaliation of that we also saw that jenna marbles who i think is pretty synonymous with youtube she's one of the first big youtubers out there and we saw that she was quitting youtube over some past things where she was in there was some blackface involved or maybe not blackface but like Tan face or brown face. I'm not exactly sure the whole story about that. Um, I remember her videos from, like... I was, like, middle school, high school long time ago. And we've seen that, like... uh, like Other uh, people are getting kind of called out for things they've done in the past. We've even seen it go as far as... um, Disney deciding that... They're going to replace Splash Mountain with a Princess and the Frog themed ride. Splash Mountain... Obviously, it's pretty synonymous with the film um, "Song of the South," um, which is definitely a very old-timey Disney film that is very um, kind of non-politically correct. It's very much a product of the time. It does show a lot of racist, um, racist kind of ideas, themes. It shows show a lot of blackface and that kind of the characterness of it. But a lot of people who ever rode that ride never really um, equated the two. And I'm all for, like, kind of modernizing rides. That's Disney's right to do that. But it seems like it's a lot more in reaction to all this cancel culture that we're going with right now. And then we saw that kind of made a lot of big news is that HBO Max pulled Gone with the Wind, which is arguably one of the greatest movies of all time um, in terms of its historical context and in terms of the acting and the time period. It does involve giving... um, uh, uh, black woman at the time received uh she was the first black woman to receive an oscar and um and they took it down and basically kind of made it like to try to go away and they've since trace course they did bring it back and they put kind of like a card in front of it that's basically saying that um the views and opinions of the kind of you know that whole legal jargon to kind of cover up we well, so they're not accused of racist tendencies by this film and then kind of going away from this whole blackface thing into um, kind of these transphobic comments or transphobia as a part of cancel culture. We've seen that J.K. Rowling, who's um, obviously the author of the Harry Potter books and some other works, and she's um, done the screenplays for like the fantastic beast movies is kind of in um, hot water for some stuff she was saying uh, regarding transgender issues so, um, so let's kind of, I'm going to go with, this isn't, is um, I have two articles here, um, one regarding um, kind of a, an, kind of an older article than one that's kind of been updated as of, like, yesterday. So, Jacob has, has said she spoke out about transistory issues in part due to her personal experience of domestic abuse and sexual assault. There about her author addressed criticism of her response to an article that described people who menstruate. In a lengthy blog, um, she wrote her interest in trans issues stemmed from being a survivor of abuse and having concerns about single-sex spaces. Actually, Rack was among those critical of Miss Rowling's comments. In a blog post published on Wednesday, Rowling 54 detailed... Uh, this is old. This was as of June 11th, so a couple weeks ago. Um, detailed what she said were the five reasons why she felt the need to talk about the issue. Those include her interest in both educating, education and safeguarding and freedom of speech. Explaining her final reason, she wrote, I've been in the public eye for over 20 years and have never talked publicly about being a domestic abuse and sexual assault survivor. This isn't because I'm ashamed those things happen to me, but because they're traumatic to revisit and remember. I also, to protect my daughter from my first marriage, I don't want to claim sole ownership of a story that belongs to her, too. However, a short while ago, I asked her how she'd feel if I were publicly honest about that part of my life, and she encouraged me to go ahead. I've... I'm mentioning these things now not in an attempt to garner sympathy but out of solidarity with a huge number of women who have histories like mine who've been slurred as bigots for having concerns around single-sex spaces. Radcliffe, the star of Harry Potter film series and Eddie Redmayne, who leads the cast of Fantastic Beasts movies, have both criticized Rowling for her comments about transgender issues. Emma Watson, who played Hermione Granger in the Potter franchise, said trans people who are who they say they are and deserve to live their lives without being constantly questioned are told they aren't who they say they are. The row began last week and after Rowling responded to a headline on an online article discussion discussing people who menstruate by writing in a tweet, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people, someone help me out, uh, wumbin, wimpund, wumud. Critics accused her of being transphobic. Rowling said she stood by her comments saying it isn't hate to speak the truth. Her tweet said, if sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the liability of many to meaningful discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. Her, she said, "My life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it's hateful to say so." Um, in December last year, the author voiced support for a researcher who was sacked after tweeting that transgender people cannot change their biological sex. Um, in a blog post on Wednesday, Rowling said she was motivated to address transgender issues through her Twitter account because of what she sees an in increasingly misogynistic society. We're living through the most misogynist peers I've experienced, she continued. Back in the 80s, I imagined that my future daughters, should I have any, would have it far better than I ever did. But between the backlash against feminism and a porn-saturated online culture, I believe these have got significantly worse for girls. Never have I seen women denigrated and dehumanized to the extent they are now. So the reaction to the statement was, um... Dr. Kathleen Stock, who's professor of philosophy at the University of Sussex, told BBC Radio 5 that J.K. Rowland is right to want to protect women-only spaces. Um, a, for, a feminist blogger, Claire Hessian, said, She had a whole new level of respect for encouraging courage and compassion, but writer-youtuber Jackson Bird, who wrote about the Harry Potter fandom, helped him come out as a trans in his memoir, told Variety he was disappointed with Rowling. For her to decide to use her incredible platform to be very critical and hateful towards a particular group of people, it just seems an irresponsible use of a platform by one of the most influential people in the world. Some of the cast of Pose, a U.S. TV drama series about New York's underground world of the 1980s ballroom culture, told Variety the author's views were hurtful. Uh, India Moore said she was a fan of the Harry Potter books because it provided an escape and even a sense of liberation. She said, it's so hurtful, but also I'm not surprised by it. The Washington Post's Molly Roberts added, J.K. Rowling's phobia shows it's time to put down the pen. But singer Alison Moyet added, regardless how I feel about anything, I've always hated a pile on since school days. Even against those they've been hurtful hateful to me. As it happens, to JK Rowling is not hateful. I see women convinced and hung and wonder where the same venom is for the men that do the actual harm to all womankind, which is a fair point. A Warner Brothers Hollywood studio behind the Harry Potter Films responded saying it was committed to confronting difficult societal issues. Warner Brothers position on inclusiveness is well established and fostering diverse and inclusive culture has never been more important to our company and to our audience around the world. We deeply value the work of our storytellers who give so much of themselves and sharing their creation with us, we recognize our sponsors to foster empathy and advocate understanding of all communities and all people, particularly those we work with and those we reach through our content. Now, um, it's kind of got refreshed in the last day or so, um, involving, uh, another actor that I, uh, really appreciated his work, which is Stephen King, um, so, J.K. Rowling has deleted a tweet uh, expressing her love of fellow author Stephen King after he confirmed that he supports trans women. They wrote an author who has been embroiled in a row over transgender issues for the past few weeks. A tweet about labor MP Lloyd Russell Moyle, who accused her of using her experience with domestic abuse to promote discrimination against the trans community, yet since apologized unreservedly. Rowling shared a quote from the late feminist and writer Andrea Dworkin about how men treat women's opinions as if they are acts of violence. In a post that must have resonated with King, who retreated on his own feed. In response, Rowling tweets that her love for King had reached a new height. She added, It's much easier for men to ignore women's concerns or to be little, but I won't ever forget the men who stood up and say they didn't need to. Thank you, Stephen. However, after being pressed by a fan on whether he stood on transitor issues, King tweeted, Trans women are women. While his clarification appeased some fans, it appears to have irked Rowling, who has since led her tweet praising King. Some social media users have speculated that she unfollowed him on Twitter. Rowling's views on transfer rights had caused widespread debate over the past month. A number of writers at her agency, the Blair Partnership, quit last week in protest over her views. Several stars at a writer franchise have voiced their opposition to Rowling's comments. So, in this kind of part of the game they're saying kind of they need to kind of cancel her for her views and obviously where I said it, which I'm not trans, I really, I don't have a dog in this fight. Um, I am a fan of her books. uh, I enjoyed them greatly growing up. Uh, I've always been of the fact that... um, The work is bigger than the author. I can say that about... um, Actors, directors, producers... That kind of had a bad work. The fact that... A lot of my favorite Kevin Smith films... Were produced by Harvey Weinstein... Who's arguably one of the... The worst men to ever set through, through Hollywood... With what he's done to women. That doesn't mean I can't still... Uh, love the films that Kevin Smith made with his heart and soul that happened just to just be produced by that horrible man or that the fact that despite J.K. Rowling's comments about uh, trans people doesn't make me dislike the Harry Potter books any less or will make me less likely to go see, well I'm not going to say less likely to go see the Fantastic Beasts movies because they are not they're not terrible but they're not definitely not as good, they don't capture the same feeling as the Harry Potter films did Maybe because they're not an adaption of a previous work. But I don't think... And there's like other films like... Obviously Kevin Spacey is another horrible person, but some of his movies are still watchable. And I don't think that an actor, a creator's content should be removed because of their past. Especially when a lot of the people went into making that what it was so that's kind of my views on it obviously um, I disagree with Jigarala's comments that um, obviously trans trans women are women trans men are men and they should be treated as such um, but everyone has told their opinion whether it is misguided or just kind of um, wherever they get their opinions from opinions are like assholes everyone has one that's kind of the, the point there some just smell worse than others But kind of continuing this thing about cancel culture is kind of going um, back into the political sphere, which is probably why a lot of you come to this show. And um, that involves kind of the removal of statues. And obviously, some statues kind of deserve to be taken down. Um, Some that's so... um, Like... So we're, like, showing, like, slave traders and people that were kind of on the wrong side of history. Uh, And this is uh, kind of another opinion thing from cityjournal.org. I don't agree with all of it. I'm kind of going to mainly run through, like, the first, like, paragraph or two. So, in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd, the American left has begun assaulting statues, parks, and public buildings. Protesters in San Francisco's Golden State Park pulled down statues of slave owner Francis Scott Key, who wrote The Star-Spangled Banner... In St. Junipero Serra, the Spanish priest beatified by the Vatican for building the missions that spread Christianity in the new Spain territory of California. They attacked the monuments to Ulysses S. Grant, the general responsible for winning the Civil War, and the president who protected freed slaves under Reconstruction. Also vandalized San Francisco for obscure reason was the bust of the great Spanish novelist Miguel Cervantes, author of Don Quixote, who had himself been held as a slave. The protesters wrote Bastard on it. Um, Christopher Columbus statues in Boston, Virginia, and Minnesota have been damaged. In Wisconsin, protesters defaced the statue of Union Army Colonel Hans Christian Haig, an ardent abolitionist. New York City removed a statue of Theodore Roosevelt from the entrance of the American Museum of Natural History for its colonialist and martial imagery. Protesters are now promising to pull down a statue of Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator from Lincoln Park in Washington, D.C., after almost succeeding in destroying the monument to Andrew Jackson directly across from the White House. The campaign has stretched beyond American shores. In Britain, the memorials to Winston Churchill, Caesar Rhodes, and even Muhammad Gandhi has been threatened with destruction. Now, this kind of news on these acts are more than just the deliberate erasure of history on a mass scale or gross vandalism. They're part of the cancel culture that first emerged on our nation's campuses years ago, but has metastasized in the last decade into a broader culture. Now this goes on. This I've read this article and it's very negative. They refer to a lot of this the leftist revolutions and basically saying that all destroying statues doesn't erase the history. And yes, that that is point. But you sh- certain things shouldn't be glorified. But I realize that some people do it kind of in a mob mentality when it comes to um, removal and they're not actually looking at who some of these people are. Obviously, I disagree with. Um, removing like of Theodore Roosevelt or the fact that uh, Hans Christian Haig, yes is an art abolitionist he doesn't deserve it and obviously like Abraham Lincoln and all that that's interjection did keep slaves and he is famously for um, having a lot of children with his slaves and the fact that um, Winston Churchill was not a great person even though he was a great um, man for England at the time and all the, there, there are some things but um, there's a lot that can be said about all this. Stat- I'm not going to get into it now. This episode's kind of gone on long enough with regards to how all this cancel culture, but it is something to be mindful of that there is... That even if all the statues of the world just exploded right now, the history of these people don't get forgotten. Like, there are statues people pass on a daily basis that they pay no mind to, that have a whole history to themselves and the persons they're... they're We go through school and learn about these people and... Whether they have a statue or not doesn't... Change the weight they have in history. And... Yeah, I don't know. I think... In the past... Well, really since... i say the past year, but really... Like, between 2016 and 4, I feel like we've gotten... Thinner-skinned. Kind of as a society. And the being kind of quarantined and being pent up in our homes has caused a lot more outcry. And I think that's really spread on this whole cancel culture mentality. And though I agree with a lot of things that have happened, um, obviously removing statues of Confederate, uh, generals, Confederate soldiers, uh, slave owners, all of that makes sense. Um, but removing statues of presidents and everything else, and um, going after an interjection just for—I believe he was the one who put a tagline on the um, the movie that would have been used for the KKK. And it's, yes, there, everyone kind of has black marks on there. But I think you don't—you want to make sure that your actions don't cloud your message, and and people are looking at quick symbolic gestures instead of actually getting to, like, the root of a lot of these problems. As we saw with um, how it's easier to remove episodes that could be kind of selected as episodes featuring blackface instead of actually getting to the, the fundamental root of why this blackface or so the fact that, yes, getting rid of an actor for voicing a black character is a putting a band on a problem instead of, like, why wasn't a black voice actor being considered for the role to begin with or why are we choosing to pick the person based on talent or color of their skin and that's and that's another point to that whole thing um should every white role go to a white actor everyone that like the writer of this play movie tv show the is white. should it only white will go for it or can anyone go for it and kind of find the right person? Especially if it's a cartoon where it doesn't matter what the color of the person is. Because you can become cat, dog, fish, young, old, black, white. You can be whatever thing you want on the other side. As long as your voice and your personality can bring that character to life. As long as it's the right person who can bring that character there is, But listen, there should be obviously more opportunities for people of color. Because they are definitely marginalized in the entertainment industry. But is just removing a character or just going based on skin colors that it's kind of just putting it's a definitely it's a service level fix it's not actually getting to the root of the problem and i think i know i personally have a lot to learn about all of this i know probably a lot of people who are going to be listening to this and a lot of people out there but we got to figure out we got to get to the root of these problems we can't just do service level things we have to make fundamental changes and maybe this is how it starts but we kind of have to see where this all plays out. But I think that's where I will leave you on this week's episode. Obviously definitely not as lighthearted as uh, yesterday's JSC or I'm sure the next uh, trophy or the rest of the shows that are going to come this week. But definitely want to leave you just try to find what enjoys you or what you enjoy in this world. Try to find things that make you happy. Sometimes it's easy to get, fall into these pit of despair when it comes to all this negativity with news and the state of the world and what the president's doing or what the president's not doing or what your candidate's not doing or if Joe Jorgensen uh, has a chance or not has a chance or is it just because it's not a third party candidate that doesn't align enough with one it's just going to hurt one or the other and who's to say what that's going to end up being but sometimes it's good to not necessarily bury your head in your sand but just try and find some light to Keep yourself sane. Because it's, it's a rough time out there. And they're still not out of the woods yet with this COVID thing. Like, some places have just opened. Some places are closing back down because they opened too early. It's just... You gotta do what you gotta do. And you gotta do what makes you happy. And if it means watching your favorite show for the 8th or ninth time just because it's... You enjoyed it's familiar. Even if it does have some stuff that you might disagree with now because it's a product of the time. But... Do what you gotta do. And definitely... Just be good to others. Like... I think if everyone was good to their neighbors and good to each other, we'd be in a lot better place in the world. But that does it for episode 68 of Poor 360. I have been your host, Andrew Poor. I'll be back in two weeks with another good show. Until then, check out all the other great shows on the Journey to Comics Network. You guys have a great week. This week, next week, have a great 4th of July. Enjoy with family and friends. Be safe. Uh, if you're going to be around uh, your elderly relatives, definitely wear a mask. And, well, I guess young and old too, but especially your old relatives. Like, I'm going to uh, be around my niece as well as my grandmother, and I'm definitely doing my best to make sure if I have anything, I don't give it to them, and I hope other people respect that as well. I know the mask thing is still something that people keep bumping up against, but definitely stay happy stay safe stay healthy all of that that does it poor 360 68 have a great week